Good morning. It's good to see you. We've had quite a morning here. Um, it's kind of ironic because Tim, I wouldn't consider Tim a tech guy by any means, but he's an African. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong this morning. So, so because of that, we were supposed to have a video at 9.30 that didn't happen. We're going to show it at the very beginning, uh, just a second, and then... Uh, then we'll go into some worship, and then we'll have communion at the right time, and we'll just go on. We're just moving things around just a little bit, but it'll be all good. So we want to welcome you if you're here for the first time. This is a little unusual, but I hope you feel the, the warmth and the presence of God, because we love you, and he does too. And uh, if you are first time, we want you to stop at the welcome desk on the way out and uh, make yourself known, and we'll, we'll give you something. All right. Think we're ready? so lonely. I wonder if she's ever going to text me back. So much. Why am I so anxious all the time? What should I have for dinner today? I'm so worried just about breathe. that job interview. Just breathe. I really should work out today. I just can't catch a break. Would you love me? Just if try to really relax. Me? I can't just keep breathe. doing this. Just breathe. I just feel so lonely. I'm so worried about that. Why should I have for dinner? Why am I so anxious? Just breathe. Well, good morning, everyone. Those of you in the room, we welcome you. Glad that you are here today. Those of you joining us online and especially those at our Bedford campus this morning, we want to welcome you and thank you for joining us here at Sherwood Oaks this morning for this special day. Uh, there, are, there are experiences that all of us share that we very rarely talk about, but, but we all kind of experience them in one way or another. Uh, there's a comedian named Brian Regan and, and he jokes about uh, saying you too at the wrong time. And so you're at a restaurant and uh, your server brings you your meal and says, enjoy your meal. And you say, you too. Anybody else ever done something like that? Or you're about ready to board a flight and, uh, and the person who takes your ticket, have a great flight. You too. You know, the next time you fly or the next time you enjoy a meal, I hope you, you enjoy it. Uh, we're probably all guilty of asking someone's name, meeting them for the first time, and then like a half second later, forgetting what their name is. Anybody else guilty of, of that? Uh, then there are good things, like that feeling that you get when you wake up and you think, oh, it's time to get out of bed and I am still exhausted. And you look over at your alarm clock and it's like only 1.30 in the morning. That is one of the best feelings in life right there. I love that, that feeling. Or if you want to wake up at 7 a.m. and uh, you set an alarm for 6.30, 6.45, 6.50, 6.55, 7.05, and then eventually after hitting the snooze alarm, you finally get out of bed at 7.23. I know, I know that's an experience some of us have. Going grocery shopping and finding the gallon of milk that expires one day after all of the other gallons of milk, and you feel like Charlie finding the golden ticket in the Wonka bar, like, yes, got it. And the feeling that you get when you're shopping online and you're laying on the couch and you're so comfortable, and then it's like, 
asks for some random information off your credit card, and you're like, oh, I have to get up off of the couch and go get my credit card. Like, my body never feels so heavy. There are things that we probably all experience in some way or another, those maybe other things, and we just don't really talk about them. And one of those things is grief. Grief. This deep sorrow that comes from the pain of loss. Man, all of us experience grief in one way or another at some time or another in our life. We're starting a a new series this morning called Headspace. And and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this connection between our hearts and our heads and how and how Jesus came not only to, to heal our hearts and make us new, but, but to actually how that affects our heads and, and, the, and the kind of our mental health and the things that we tell ourselves, the things that we believe about ourselves and about others and, and how we can process negative thoughts and feelings that just absolutely sometimes bombard us. And, and believe it or not, Scripture actually has a lot to say about mental health and gives us incredible tools to not only care for our mental health, but to also guard it and and protect it. And I don't know if there is anything that can weigh on our hearts and our minds more than grief. This deep sorrow that comes from pain of loss. It affects both of these areas and can really mess with that headspace. All of us experience loss of some kind more often than we realize. Maybe it's not necessarily the passing of a loved one, but, but we experience loss. We, we experience loss in the way that things used to be, and so we grieve that loss wishing that that things could just go back to the way that they were. We grieve the loss of a friend moving away, a neighbor that we just were so close to and job or life circumstances took them someplace else and, and we just miss our friends. A coworker who retires or left for another job, that's that's loss. Being that coworker who retired or left for another job, like transitions can be great, but there is a sense of loss to them. And there's even grief that follows that, that loss in those transitions. Many people grieve the loss of a stage of life that they loved. This time of year, there's a lot of parents who are experiencing empty nest syndrome for the first time, and it's and it's painful. Some parents are like, praise Jesus, but for a lot of parents, a lot of parents, it's painful and it's, and it's hard. Maybe, maybe you loved that baby stage, but now your kids talk back to you and you're like, I just want them to be babies again. Divorce brings a sense of loss. Maybe someone else's divorce. I tell you, when my, when my parents got a divorce back in 2012, I grieved that loss. That hurt, even though I was an adult child out of the house for 
for quite a while at that point, I still grieved that loss of my parents' relationship. Maybe there are things that you used to be able to do, but you can't anymore. That's a loss, and we grieve it. Maybe you grieve the shift in our culture or even in our church. You just wish that it was the way that it was a couple of years ago. There's a loss, and we grieve it, and we all experience it in some way or another. And today is September 11th, and 21 years later, people are still grieving the loss of someone that they lost in the buildings or the plane or someone sent off to fight global terrorism who never came home. Many people are still grieving how the world changed on that Tuesday. Now, all of us go through times of grief at one point or another for various things. In fact, you've probably heard it said that when it comes to pain and suffering, you're either going through it, just coming out of it, or about to go into it. <laughs> Not very good news for us this morning, is it? <laughs> You're either going through it, just coming out of it, or at some point we'll walk into it. It is something that we all share. But the good news of the gospel is that we do not have to walk through these times alone. God redeems not just our lives, but he redeems those difficult, painful circumstances that we go through. And, and listen, I am not one of those preachers that say, oh, everything happens for a reason. Truth is, I don't believe that. But what I do believe is that in everything, God can work for our good and he can bring something beautiful out of something painful that we walk through. And the same is true with our grief and with our loss. It's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, is able to say in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but joy is not the first word that comes to my mind when I think about trials and sufferings of many kinds. But he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God takes that pain and he does something in us with it to make us stronger, to make us more like Jesus, who knew his fair share of suffering and pain. It's why the Apostle Paul, again, like James and like every other person in the New Testament who writes about this, he experienced plenty of it himself. He's able to say about grief and loss and suffering in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know, again, kind of what James said, that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he has given to us. God does not cause these painful things to happen in our life, but he promises to use them. He promises to redeem them and to bring something beautiful out of them if we allow him to. 
He uses pain and suffering and grief to train our our souls how to fix our eyes on Jesus and our hearts on heaven. And a few years ago, some friends of mine went through a trial that no one wants to experience. And they are here today to share with us their story and how God has brought some redemption in their own life. So would you please help me welcome to the stage Ben and Crystal Woods. Well, good morning. So grateful for you all joining us here today. And we were, we were talking about this just a little bit last night while enjoying chocolate mousse ice cream uh, after dinner, that, that Ben, this isn't actually your first time on the Sherwood Oak stage, no, uh, is it? Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. So, so Ben was the lead singer of a band called Slingshot 57. And if you are a church kid or had a church kid or maybe a church grandkid of a certain age, uh, they were familiar and probably saw Slingshot 57 at some kind of music festival or concert or something like that. In fact, I think it was like the mid-2000s, Slingshot was here to play, and our worship team got a signed poster from you. There we go. There is, man, That's look at me. that young guy standing me. sitting yeah. over there. Yeah. Need a haircut still. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. And so that is hanging in our, uh, in our worship arts production I area. must see that before we yes. wrap up today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's great. Well, hey, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you all are here to join us this week. And uh, just tell us a little bit uh, about yourselves. Yeah, well, we, we are Ben and Crystal Woods. Uh, we live in New Albany, Indiana, so a little bit farther south than you guys. We're like at the bottom. But okay? still a Hoosier. Um, You're still yes. on the right side we, of the yes. river. Uh, okay. Yes, yeah, for clarity's sake, yes. <laughs> Your hearts hear that. Um, no, but uh, we, we lead a discipleship ministry called the Brave Way Home, yeah. uh, aimed at calling um, and equipping fellow wayfarers fellow believers to deeper living with eyes fixed on Jesus and hearts set on heaven. And so uh, we pour our lives into that. But we we have been married for 21 years. 21 years. 21 years. years. We have three beautiful children. Um, Ezra is our oldest and he is 15 now. He is witty and, you know. Clever. Clever. Sarcastic. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Who, Who does he get the sarcasm from? I'm going to go. Oh, no, you pointed no, to Crystal. Oh, but, man. No, it's me. <laughs> I am um, responsible. But Ezra is compassionate, and he is empathetic, and he has a very strong sense of justice. He cares about the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a drummer. He's creative. Um, and that's our oldest, our, our center daughter, Kala. She's bright, and she's bubbly. She's a spark. She's, she makes a friend with anybody, um, and she makes a special connection with with you on a one-to-one level. You feel mm. known and loved by Kala. Um, and our baby is Lila. Lila is, we just call her a goofball. She's yeah. funny. <laughs> she's yeah. a little comedian. She likes jokes. She likes to make people laugh. And she's a gymnast, Aww. and she just flips and flexes everywhere. She's, 
She's just oh, a she's little a bundle of fun, and she's seven. She's yeah. seven, and you guys probably can't see from your vantage point, but I've, I can see that uh, they actually just oh, walked in. Well, she is. Ezra, Ezra might be asleep on the couch yes. in my office. It's still pretty yes. Yeah, yeah, but uh, a lot of my girls are here. But yeah, we, um, I mean, everything for us, you know, we, our, our story, it, it began in Bible college at mm. uh, Lincoln Christian back before yeah, yeah. the turn of the century. Yes. That's when you came into our life. <laughs> yep. So yep. that's... Think about that for a second. The late 90s. You're old, Ben. We can call it that now. Yes. So, yeah. So, a few years ago, uh, your lives and family changed forever. Um, Tell us just a a little bit about about what happened. Um, So, it was early in the spring of 2019 that our center daughter, Arcala, um, started to have headaches. Um, we started to dig into what those might be, if it might be allergies or hormones or um, anything like that. Um, around that time, in, in that May, Ben went on his annual trip to Romania, a mission trip he takes every year pretty much. Um, and that's a, t- a tough time for our family. Ben's not gone often, but um, those are two weeks that, that we are kind of separated, and uh, that's a tough time. Um, but during those two weeks, our Kala, her headache started increasing in um, severity, and the symptoms were just really ramping up. And so I took her to the emergency room, and they did some scans, and they found multiple tumors in Kala's brain, things that did not belong. And they rushed us to our local hospital there in Louisville. Um, and we, I sat in there nurse's office and they told me the news and said you need to call your husband and get him to come home right now and so I made the call it was the morning there he started preparations to come back um, to fly back to us Um, and Kala and I were in the hospital and they continued to run tests they had her quarantined in the ICU because we weren't sure what it was that was causing the tumors, if it was contagious, if it was an infection, Um, and so ran all kinds of tests, Um, and pretty much the moment that Ben walked through the door, they rushed us to a a room um, on the side and told us that it was what they believed was um, a form of brain cancer. Um, from that point, we made some big decisions to um, have Callum moved to Cincinnati Children's Hospital, where there's just some of the best of the best um, pediatric cancer doctors. Um, and so we, we, uh, we made the move to Cincinnati, where they discovered that Calla was fighting a rare and invasive and aggressive and unnamed, unknown brain cancer. At the age of nine, she was in third grade, just finishing up her third grade year. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I can imagine what that time was like for you all. The confusion and the pain and the questioning, why, all of that. Very jolting, very... um, And you know, for me, I uh, I was on the other side of the planet and I was on a, I was in in a place uh, that Kala had always dreamed of going to um, and serving uh, with. Uh, we, we, we would go in, to Romania and serve a, a ministry called Forget Me Not Ministries. 
and they work very closely with um, at-risk kids of trafficking and child marriage. And uh, Kala, Kala had her heart set on going. And so uh, for me to be there and to make my way back and immediately be taken to another room to tell us, um, we don't know what this is, but we know it doesn't belong. And we know that she is in the fight for her life. Um, it, it makes you not just take pause, but it, it washes over you in a way that you, um, no one thinks that that's what they will be told in any circumstance. So, so you got that diagnosis and imagine the prognosis was not very hopeful at that time. And so take us through what happened after the, the diagnosis and you guys got that information. What, what happened next? It was like a roller coaster um, of emotions and everything. I mean, like there's so many tests and so many scans and so many interventions and so many, so many things. Um, and, and, and because this was very aggressive and, and very rare and, and um, they could not, they did not know what it was. Um, the level of confusion and the level of, I mean, her team, uh, her medical team was growing rapidly. I mean, she had dozens of um, specialists that are running through her room constantly between the ICU and um, the neuro uh, floor. Um, and we watched our sweet thing um, navigate with a fierce faith, deep pain. Um, they were not able to manage her pain very easily. And so um, those, those following weeks were very, it was just, it's, it's constant intensity. And we saw tumor growth. Uh, we saw tumor shrinkage. We saw beautiful smiles and beautiful laughter and beautiful joy. We saw our sweet Kala captivate um, the entire medical team uh, simply by her just being her, the way God made her to be. Um, and, and something about Kala, she's just, she's just so bright. I remember pushing her through the, the lobby of the children's hospital. She had become a little weak at that point and wasn't able to walk really well. Um, but we were pushing her through the lobby, just kind of looking around, getting her out of her room. And um, I was trying to prepare Calla for some of the things that people might say to her, something like you said, that all things happen for a reason. And I said, Calla, somebody to you might say, God chose you for this because you're so strong or something. And she looked at me with her big blue eyes and she said, Mommy, this is not God's fault. Mm. And just that childlike faith that even in pain and even in uncertainty, she wasn't going to turn her back on her God or forget his character. And that's just something about Kala. Like he already had her heart yeah. at that point. Um, and so her faith just shone even in pain and even in dark. Yeah. And I think we... We watched her fierce faith shape, like we were following her lead in so many ways. Yeah. I think um, 
watching her navigate that and being the dad, you can't, you can't take this pain away. You can't fix this. And so you feel very aware of your limits and it is incredibly humbling. Um, and at the same time, uh, we watched God use her fierce faith to fix a lot of eyes on himself. Um, and we saw the life of the church wrap their arms around us, um, both our local church and so many other local churches everywhere. I mean, we, we were so, I would say, sustained by the powerful prayers of God's people all over planet Earth um, that were praying for her healing and praying for God to do what only he can do. There's something about watching, watching your child suffer and hurt when there's nothing you can do about it. And um, purposing and pouring your heart out in prayer. And so there was pain in that room and there was suffering in that room. But there was also God's presence in that room because he was worshipped in that room and he was prayed to in that room and he was looked to in that room and in in ways that I know I felt his spirit and I felt his presence, I have to, I know that Kala had that same experience of his closeness and his nearness. Like when I am watching her and praying, God, you have got to do something. She is hurting and I hear him say, deliverance is coming. That gives me peace, even in the fear of not knowing what form that would take. Um, but, after about eight weeks in that hospital, in the hospital, um, Kala was rescued to heaven and home by her king um, from our arms. And so now we know that she is with her king, happy, whole, healed, and waiting with us for the day that he comes back to set all things right. Amen. Amen. So those eight weeks so hard and you guys are wrestling you're walking faithfully with Kala and she's walking faithfully with you and with the Lord and she is rescued and the grief I imagine sets in even harder process with us just how you all went through a season of grief individually and together and I mean I'm sure you all know there are a lot of marriages that fall apart after the loss of a child um, and it's because we just all differently. So how did you deal with grief individually, together? And yeah, just kind of tell us about that process for you. Well, um, for, for me, in grief, the lies scream really loudly. The, he let this happen. He didn't, do the, he didn't do what he said he would do. He could have stopped this and he didn't. Mm -hmm. And I know the voice of the accuser very, very clearly now. But what has been so pivotal for me in my grief is just allowing the voice of God to speak even louder. And that is through his word and through his spirit and through remembering the character of who my God is. My God is good. My God is present. My God is not done. Um, and so that has been key for me just to remember that there have been people throughout history, Jesus' followers, like the people who he walked the earth with, 
encountered incredible suffering and incredibly disappointed things, disappointment with even what God would allow. And, God, and Jesus looked at them and said, are you gonna leave too? And they said, where would we go? You alone have the words of truth. And so that has been my experience in that God is not done yet and he is not finished because it's not good yet. And so there's been a lot of strength that has come from clinging and confident hope to what is to come that we read about and that all of these people write page after page in these books about the day of the Lord is coming. Watch for the day of the Lord even more as the day is approaching because we're not finished yet. We're not home yet. We're still on the way. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's deep sorrow and there's deep joy because there's deep love yeah. and that love doesn't stop. Right. So I think that's what, you know, when we, when grief invades your life, sometimes we, we will lean on, Oh, well, the textbooks say there's these five stages or sometimes there's seven stages and, um, it's just different. Yeah. <laughs> grief is very disorienting, yeah. but it's also very reorienting. Yeah. Um, just as Crystal was saying of like, suddenly everything means something different. Mm. Our definition for hard, that threshold has changed. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't, and we, we, are, we are never ones to compare or compete over pain. Sure. Like, but we know what it is. Yeah. And we know that the pain that we are familiar with is beyond our vocabulary. Yeah. And we know that when Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, I would say I am more and more convinced that he's speaking quite literally, even when we want him to be speaking metaphorically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you find yourself coming to terms with, with how helpless you are in your own strength to navigate the road you're walking. And so I know for us, it is, it is something that we, we just determined and resolved our hearts to, to anchor ourselves with the disciplines that we knew, and that is to be rooted in God's word, mm -hmm. to be rooted in prayer, and to be rooted in community, mm -hmm. um, in God's people around them, that we, we would be reminded we are not walking alone. Mm -hmm. Because in grief, it's easy to feel like you're speaking a foreign language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you are surrounded by people that often want to comfort you, and they don't always know how. Yeah. And part of the reason why they don't know how is because it's, it's not easy to know how, right? It's, it's not their fault that they don't know how. It's, um, and so for us, it's, uh, I would say a friend of mine, a friend of ours always, it's, it's language that has served us, that grief is both, it's both universal and it's unique. Mm -hmm. It's like you were saying before, it's, yeah. it, everyone's familiar with it in some capacity. But your story is your story Every and it's story. unique. Yep. And that's why it's dangerous to tell somebody that you know how they feel. Yeah. Because you don't always know how they yeah. feel, right? Yeah. But I know for us as a family, as Team Woods, it's not just universal and unique, it's united. Mm -hmm. um, we're still parents. Mm -hmm. um, we, are, we are Ezra's parents, we are Kala's parents, we are Lila's parents, and we are still husband and wife. And that is the plan that we would shepherd their hearts as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and our hearts. Well, and let me, let me ask you about that because you, you all went through your own season of, of grief individually together, but 
I mean, how did you help Ezra and Lila process, process their grief that they were experiencing losing their sister? Well, just as I was saying, like for us, Kala is our daughter. For them, Kala is their sister. And just as you were saying before, grief can look different. So I think one of the biggest things was giving them permission to know that it's okay to grieve. I think it's imperative that we understand that grief, grief is not spiritual immaturity, right? It's a reality. Like sorrow is not sin. And we are invited to lament and not only shepherding their hearts as we are navigating pain beyond our, our vocabulary, they are as well just from a different perspective. So reminding their hearts that they have permission, but also reminding their hearts that they're not alone in it. And it expresses itself differently. Um, Lila loves to wear Cala clothes. Um, Ezra loves to tell the funny stories because Cala's feet stink. A girl would never wear socks with her shoes. And one of those things of just reminding our hearts to, to just to tell the stories. We, we, we tell the stories because we, we don't speak in past tense. It's not Kala was. Kala is. She's more alive than any of us here. And so for us, allowing our language to shape their theology through their grief has been huge. And, on, and we've also seen how that has impacted them. Um, we have a, a podcast that we recently started and we had Ezra and Lila be some of our, our first guests. And something Ezra said on that podcast and asked him, how have you seen God be faithful in our story? And Ezra said, he hasn't allowed us to become sour. And what profound truth from a 15-year-old that he would be able to to look at what our family has walked through and say, God hasn't left us alone and he hasn't turned his back on us and we haven't turned our back on him. You've kind of already addressed it, but there is a spiritual component to grief and and sometimes I think people feel this guilt, like, oh, I can't, if I'm, if I'm grieving or if I'm sad, then I'm not being faithful. Uh, can grief and faithfulness coexist? I think absolutely. I think it's a necessity because if grief is disappointment in this broken world, hope is in... It, hope is just faith in the next one. That is, they tie together. Faith is what pulls you forward through grief. Hope is what keeps you afloat and keeps you holding on to what God says. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and you believe what he says, he, you believe he'll do what he says he'll do. Every promise he made us is true. And that is what we keep journeying forward to because we remember that there, we're not home. This is not home and that we are walking with our Jesus toward it. And I, I would even say, I think often of, you know, Psalm 23, right? We all know Psalm 23, that like it, when it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't say I'm going to run through it. It doesn't say I'm going to run around it. And it doesn't say you're going to take a few steps in and you're going to set up camp and you're going to stay there. 
It says you're going to walk through. And, and I, I think that is a, is a pretty big piece of that tension of that's what makes, that's what makes following Jesus so brave. And to keep following Jesus at every single step, something that requires courage to keep moving forward when everything about the world is saying set up camp or expedite it, get through it as quickly as you can. Because I think our world has tried to condition us, those patterns of the world, like the Romans 12 stuff, right? Like the renewing of our minds is, is the invitation to new patterns that God is giving us. I think the patterns of the world are trying to convince us that pain is to be avoided at all cost. And the reality is the peace that our hearts long for, the peace that our, our hearts long for, it, it doesn't come in the absence of that pain. It comes with his presence in the midst of it. And that is faith, trusting that he will enter in, that God knows. He knows there's no pain that you know that he doesn't. And he will meet you in the deep waters just as much as he would meet you on the shore or in the shallows. He's still there. And that's faith. And that's hope, even in the midst of grief. That's a good word, man. Hey, we have just a, a couple of more minutes, but there's, there's two things that I want to I wanna get to. Uh, number one, tell us what you are doing now. So not only have your lives kind of changed, but your ministry has, has changed too. Uh, so how have you seen God redeem your pain to give you a new ministry and a way of coming alongside of people? Um, I think for a long time, we were just kind of standing in front of God with our our hands open, like, what are you doing here in this story? And what are you calling us to? And are we just so broken that you just can't use us anymore? And I think just an answer to that prayer, those desperate, honest, vulnerable prayers has been just a vision that he has given us um, to call and equip fellow wayfarers to deeper living with our eyes fixed on Jesus, with our hearts set on heaven, to, I think, Colossians 1 tells us that a confident hope that in what Jesus has set aside for us in heaven will overflow with deeper faith in Jesus and with a deep love for others. And so I think we were just looking around at the world around us, the people around us, and recognizing there are fellow strugglers on this journey. And we just, just in the way that you would tangibly help somebody up a rocky place or a slippery part, that you just want to reach out and and hold them on and encourage them on, remind them that there is a destination, there is a reason we walk. Um, and so that has been the vision of the Brave Way Home and um, the desire to, you know, like Isaiah tells us, like the sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary so that we can comfort others with the comfort where we received and so that we can walk forward homeward together with fellow believers. And reminding, I think reminding uh, believers that all of, of all of the pilgrimage language of scripture, the wayfaring through, I mean, a wayfarer is somebody who walks by foot. There's no other form of transportation. So you don't get to expedite your journey through the wilderness. And if you think about it, when you are walking through trails or you're walking through the woods, you instinctively look for trails. You instinctively look for where people, there's evidence of where people have walked before you. And I think that is such a beautiful metaphor of discipleship that if what we can do is call people and remind them of all of the language in scripture, 
about the, where we are to fix our eyes and who we are to fix our eyes on and set our heart on, well, then we are going to offer all of our gifts and all of our passions and all of our story that he would redeem them for the sake of the gospel. So we are all in on that. And that looks a lot of different ways, a lot of teaching and speaking in a lot of different places, a lot of one-on-one discipleship, a lot of, a lot of time in church families hoping to reorient uh, the way they see discipleship in the life of the church. So it's, it's a lot of beautiful, redeeming work. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So tonight, four o'clock, uh, you guys are going to be here doing a, a workshop that we're calling Holding On to Hope. And you're going to be walking through just three different uh, ways that we can uh, grasp onto that, that hope as we walk through, wayfare through difficult times. And so we invite you, come on back for us. It's going to be a great night. We're going to have uh, coffee and cookies. And so that's going to be, the, the conversation is going to be, going to be really, really good. Uh, so guys, thank you so much for joining us up here this morning. We are grateful for you and just for taking your time to, to share some of your story with us this morning. Can we thank Ben and Crystal? Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.